and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about the micronutrient copper. If you've got any questions about copper or anything that's going on in your farm, we'd be happy to talk to you today. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. It's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. Before we do, I, I just wanted to tell you the reason why we're talking about copper today is not only is it important in every crop that there is, but for Darren and me, we look at soil tests all the time. We commonly see one of two things. One, copper is not even on the test. Or two, copper levels are pretty low. Now, there's also such a thing as copper is it has to be basically in ratio with some other nutrients. For example, like with phosphorus to copper on our farm, we found that somewhere around 30 to 1 phosphorus to copper is roughly the right ratio. If we start getting that way out of whack, it absolutely negatively impacts yield. The other thing I'll say to open up the show talking about copper is just that copper is often referred to as the disease micronutrient. So in other words, if you're having disease issues on your farm, we would encourage you take a look at what you have for copper levels in the soil. Now, I'd also say you can use copper as a foliar product and you can kill some diseases with copper. Copper products have been used as bactericides for many years. Now, I'm not going to say they're great or anything like that, but at least that is one of the uses for some of the copper products that are out there. So we'd really encourage you to take a look at copper overall on your farm. It is an important micronutrient. And so as we go throughout the show today, we'll kind of get into how much you need and what you should be looking for in your crop. But again, it's a micronutrient. We'd really, really encourage you test for it. And it's not like you have to test every single year or anything else because your copper levels probably aren't going to change dramatically from year to year. But if at least once every few years you are testing for copper, it's going to help you out an awful lot on your farm. Okay, it is time now for the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, let's head to the phone lines here. we get Kelly with us on the line uh, with question on irrigation. Kelly, how you doing? Hi, uh, Brian and Darren. It's great to be online with you. Can you hear me okay? You bet. Well, I'd, I'd like to start by just thanking you guys for all the work you do in educating uh, us farmers. Uh, for me personally, I don't have any formal education in farming, and all the education you guys have provided me thus far has been free. So I, I just really appreciate you guys and all the, you know, your show and everything. Oh, you bet. Well, thank you, Kelly. Uh, I, yeah, you bet. Um, so my question is regarding uh, pivot irrigation, groundwater uh, from an aquifer. Our well is somewhere between 250 and 300 feet. And when uh, the well was initially drilled uh, about uh, eight years ago or so, it was uh, explained to us without much knowledge that you know, this water was uh, safe and sustainable for irrigation. However, recent tests indicate that our SAR level is elevated, uh, quite elevated, to the 80s to 90s level 
Oh my and our goodness. sodium level is around uh, it's less than a thousand. It's between five hundred and a thousand. Um, but I, I'd really like to gather your thoughts. Uh, I know sometimes uh, Brian has made the comment that they maybe ought to sell the land. Well, this is a family farm, so we're we're not uh, interested in that. But could you provide any thoughts, or or should this irrigation be stopped? Well, first of all, Kelly, what's the what are the sodium levels on the soil test? How bad's the sodium right. getting to be in your soil? Right, it, it is elevated. Um, I think it's it's between ten and fifteen on the base saturation. And and guys, I will. I'm not the decision maker on my farm, but over the course of the next few weeks, I'll try to get some more information because as as I become more of a decision maker. I'll, I'm trying to establish a little bit more relationship with uh, your uh, your business. Sure. So I, I guess what we would like to see, if you get a hold of these soil tests, send them over to us because then we can give you a little bit better advice. But if we're already talking 10 to 15% sodium in the soil, that's a massive issue that's dramatically impacting the yield of any crop you want to raise out there. So usually what we will say, if that's the case, is number one, I want to look at immediately trying to start fixing that. And that probably means adding drain tile to the field and then looking at how we can turn that sodium into a salt, probably with the use of sulfur. But again, I want to see what the soil test says. Maybe you have a whole bunch of sulfur already sitting there. But a lot of people to alleviate sodium issues, they'll use something like gypsum, which has sulfur in there. And so when you combine sodium with sulfate, it's a salt, and then that can leach out if you have good drainage. So that's one of the first things that I'm working on is is tile so I can fix the soil. Now, in terms of the water, yeah, if you've got really high sodium that's coming up in that water, you, I would, my first call would be to a well driller to see if we can go down deeper and get better quality water because that water, it's, it's, it's just not, when you keep using that water, you're making the problem worse. So I realize water, having water is great, but you keep adding more sodium and it's just, it's, it's super harmful for your ground at those levels. So, so that's what I would do is I would look at, have somebody drill a test well, and let's see if I go down deeper, can I find better quality water? Okay. Um, well, well, thanks for that. I appreciate that. So uh, I can give you a little bit more detail before you get on, uh, off the phone here. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, tell you what, Kelly, we got to take a quick break here. Uh, if you want to talk to us more about it, just hang on. Otherwise, you can certainly send us an email with some more details and soil test, preferably. That would be great. But like I say, if you want to stick around, hang on. We'll be right back. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. 
Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre and post-emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are broadcasting today from the Morton studio. If you've got a question for us, you can email us, radio at agphd.com, or you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's what Kelly did. And right before the break, we were talking with him about his irrigation water. Kelly, you said you had a few more things to add there. Yeah, thanks, guys. Let me put another quarter in the machine here. I sure appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> See, so uh, uh, we're located in, in western North Dakota, so I know there's a uh, big difference from the mothership in Baltic, South Dakota there. Uh, and, and we're doing some initial uh, surveying for tiling. We're, we're interested in that. Another thing we're lo looking at is one of these so-called water conditioners that uses velocity. Uh, for example, one brand name is called a carefree water conditioner. And we, we, get, we are thinking about putting one of those on an eight-inch pipe, and do you think that that would be worthwhile? I think we're talking uh, well over ten thousand dollars for such a unit, but I'm I'm in the process of educating myself about such a contraption. Um, I am not familiar with that. I'd have to do a little research on that, and I'll tell you what if. If at some point here you send us some more information, including like a soil test or anything, then I'm sure by then I will have done the homework on that and I can give you a better answer to that. So I'm not familiar with those. I just know if there's some way to treat the water so we don't have the sodium problem, that's great. But the challenge here still comes back to you got to figure out how to flush the bad stuff out of your soil. And without tile... Yeah. It, you're, you're not going to do it. So a lot of people in, in 
your area, I would say, have said, well, what if I don't tile? Then then what do I do? <laughs> and that's where it's right. like, I, I, I can't help you much because we got to get rid of the problem that's in the soil. If we were starting from zero, fine, if you don't have a problem. But you already have a major problem in the soil. Now we got to figure out how we get rid of that problem. And I can't do that without good drainage unless we're totally replacing the dirt. And that's completely cost prohibitive to do. So on a big farm scale, the only choice we have is flush that stuff out of there and we can't do it if we don't have tile on the ground. Yeah, and I thanks so much for reinforcing that. And I'm uh, I'm working with my with my dad because that's a that's a new concept on our farm. Learning about soil sciences. Uh, we've been a progressive farm. We started minimal till in '96, uh, which is, was a progressive uh, step in, yep. in uh, our region. Yep. So. Uh, well, well, thanks for that, guys. I'll, I'll shoot it back to you, and maybe you can talk about uh, copper in, in terms of dry land irrigation. Thanks. <laughs> I'll, I'll be in touch. Is the, the email at ag, uh, at the radio Ra- at agphd.com? Yep, yep, radio at agphd.com, and we'll get it, both Darren and me. Hey, guys, appreciate okay. it, and uh, th- thanks for all the knowledge. Uh, thanks a lot, Kelly. Good luck. Right, let's head to the phone lines. We're going to talk about copper on today's show. And you may have said, man, copper, uh, how am I going to fix that in my soil? How do I know if I need to fix that in my soil? And what difference does it make on our plants? Uh, got Kyle along with us right now, uh, who who is a Neil Kinsey Ag Consultant. Is that how you would define yourself, Kyle? Or, or how, would you, how would you give yourself a title? Well, I guess uh, I would technically describe myself as a soil fertility specialist more than there you go. anything else, more than a consultant, I guess. Okay, so as a soil fertility specialist, when we think about copper, I know that's probably not number one on everybody's list in terms of nutrients, but it is a big one, and it does do a lot of things because I know uh, working with, with you and working with your grandpa, he, he said, hey, you guys are short. You need to get this up. Mm-hmm. You're already seeing problems in your crop. For us, it was soybeans that we had uh, the, the seed coat was breaking open as our, our mm-hmm. bean size was getting bigger with some of the different things we were doing for management. And boy, that made a big difference for us. Uh, what, what have you seen with copper in your work, Kyle? Uh, basically, what we find is obviously it's necessary for, you know, chlorophyll formation, electron transport, things of those natures, enzyme systems. But what we find really what it helps is if we come up to our, what we call our minimum range of two parts per million copper, we see a big benefit in curbing rust and fungus diseases, and we also see that we get less lodging. As long as we have correct potassium and adequate manganese, then we reduce lodging problems in corn. And uh, for trees, it is really beneficial for stalks or, or the, for wood strengths and flexibility, you know, to be able to bounce back of, in harsh conditions. Uh, and for Let's even say something about grapes and wine grapes and tomatoes that uh, help strengthen the peel. You know, if you have a ton of phosphate out there, uh, you know, on like on your garden or something, and uh, the tomatoes are getting really plump and they start cracking, then if you get your copper up to the adequate levels, then you start you don't see as much cracking or peeling or splitting. Yeah, absolutely, it we've does, all we've all seen that. 
Yeah, we've all we've all yeah. seen that on tomatoes. We've definitely seen that on on grapes. As you pull grapes off, uh, you you see that uh, issue, and nobody wants that. Nobody wants to eat that then, and it certainly yeah. makes the the product saleable, and it goes from zero value to to full value in in, a, in an instant. Now, you mentioned the less disease, and I know a lot of our listeners, and Brian had kind of made mention of this earlier. A lot of our listeners are looking at copper as one of those nutrients that can really help us with plant health. And that seems to be a big thing across almost any crop that you want to raise. Uh, when you talk about that copper, are you talking about you got to build the soil up and you got to have adequate uptake from the soil, or is this something that could be assisted with foliar applications in season as well? Uh, you could benefit from foliar application, but you're going to see your most benefit from actually broadcast applications of copper that get down into the soil and then are being able to be taken up by the roots themselves and converted by the microorganisms because the microorganisms really benefit from that as well. Now, you also mentioned trees, and this is something too, Kyle. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of questions with with, uh, some of our listeners that are trying to get trees going, whether it's fruit trees or or trees just for their shelter belt around their home or their acreage. And uh, I I think about that. There there are a lot of keys to getting trees growing. And you mentioned copper being important there too. So often we see in the north that that trees will snap or there'll be a big windstorm or an ice storm or something like that. Mm -hmm. Copper could be part of that answer yeah it it could be as long as you have adequate uh, potassium and manganese those are your first two keys and then copper is going to help with that strength and flexibility that's just kind of the icing on the cake there all right you have to make sure that we have proper potassium that's your first key there for strength Uh, and then after the manganese is up then your copper is what you worry about now, as you're building a micronutrient like copper, I know a lot of times uh, we hear you talking about a, a balance between manganese and iron. How about with copper? Mm-hmm. Are there there's some other nutrients that, hey, we can't have this too out of whack with, with the other elements? Now, not, not especially because you're not really ever going to really tie up anything unless you're dumping loads and loads of copper on. The only thing that would hinder copper would be a large application of calcium if you're right there on that border then that could tie up some of your copper or a excessive nitrogen use can also uh, hurt copper uptake as well well excessive nitrogen that's that's something that occasionally uh, a farmer here or there will be guilty of if if they're pushing yeah. for high yields especially but the calcium that's one maybe you should talk about for just a second uh when you're putting on lime i know uh we hear you talk about that often that boy you got to watch it because uh, too heavy a dose of lime can tie up micros what's your recommendation with a lime application or a real big calcium application is it you're going to have to add some of these micros or is there a time uh, in between yeah. those applications Yes. Uh, if you're trying to, let's say, generally what we say is 600 pounds of calcium ties up about 5 pounds of copper sulfate, 32% or equivalent. Uh, so basically, if you're throwing on a ton, you might just want to put out a maintenance level of 5 pounds of copper just to make sure if you're right there at that border to where that, that two part per million range or so, then we want to make sure that we might add back some so that we don't actually lose any. But the good thing about copper is it binds a little bit more, bit more tightly in the soil. So if you put it on, it's not as likely to be lost to that, but it's just something to be aware. If you, if you just find out that your copper is depleting for no reason, you think, then 
maybe think about that whenever liming to say, oh, well, we'll throw out a application, we'll maintenance application. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, Updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, waterhemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like foxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. Talking about copper on today's Ag PhD radio program and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we started off with a, an irrigation water quality issue uh, at the beginning of the show today. And we don't have to deal with that on our farm. We're all dry land, but I know somebody who has to deal with some irrigation issues from time to time. It's our friend Bo Shropshire out in California. Bo, how you doing? I'm doing great, Darren. Hey, yeah, you... I was sitting there listening to this fella talking about that <clears throat> about that sodium levels, and uh, our sodium levels in the water that we get from the Colorado River somewhere between seven hundred and eight hundred parts per million, 
And uh, if we use uh, pump back water with waters run through the field, our sodium levels can get actually up to about 2,500 parts per million uh, if we're trying to blend that water back, you know, to use as much, you know, be as efficient with water as possible. But so I understand his deal, but but Brian's, you know, dead on. You got to have drainage. You get the, you get some tile in the ground. Pay attention to your calcium levels, and uh, that starts. You know, with us, we're using lime first, and then come in with gypsum. Hey, Bo, have you found anything, though, to treat that water that helps? I mean, some people talk about reverse osmosis systems, or that guy was discussing uh, a water a, uh, water conditioner. I, I don't know of anything that's going to totally solve the problem. Do you? No, I've seen a, a little bit of that stuff uh, that some guys have used, but the interesting thing is is that when they install those, those uh, systems, it seems like, the water, by the time it gets down the field, say we're, you know, most of our stuff here is being furrow irrigated. <clears throat> if, if they put that stuff in the system, by the time it gets down three, 400 feet down the field, it, it's kind of gone away, you know. So one way that we do do it, we do do some um, treatment of water with, say, sulfuric acid, run a little bit of acid to bring our pH down because our pH of our water here is about 7, 8. So if we can get our pHs down to about six and a half or something, which is obviously where we'd like to have our soils at, but if we can get our water down about six and a half, takes a few gallons of, of sulfuric acid, we'll tie up a lot of bicarbonates that will also affect all this sodium and stuff. But, but yeah, the biggest thing is, Brian, you, you just got to have some reasonable drainage. Uh, don't go too deep with your tile and uh, pay attention to your calcium levels to offset and push that sodium out of the way, keep it moving. Yeah, so the sulfuric acid, you're basically achieving the same thing that I will eventually if I put gypsum on the soil. It just depends on cost and ease and everything else. you got to be a little careful with that sulfuric acid when you're dealing with it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not crazy about using it uh, because it's, you know, it's a fairly hazardous material to use to begin with. <laughs> yep. So if, if we've got a, if we've got a, you know, a two or 3,000 gallon tank of south sulfuric acid set on a head ditch, you know, I mean, you need to have some uh, eye wash station next to it and all those kinds of, you know, preventative safety situations. But, you know, it's uh, the deal. biggest deal is, is, you know, tying up some of those bicarbonates in the water. Uh, you're going to eventually get that sulfur into the soil like you're talking about, um, being able to help push out some things. But, yeah, it's uh, a lot of times some of these soils that have, High P, or that we have high pHs and we have high sodium levels, then you wind up uh, going out there and and by by making sure that your calcium levels are up properly, you know, and you've got good tile, we can normally push that sodium out of the way uh, so that it eventually it's not a problem. I mean, I mean, I've taken some stuff that was at 17% sodium base saturation. And moved it to six and a half in eleven months with four tons of lime and good drainage. How heavy is the soil? Uh, these are exchange capacities of about uh, between twenty-eight and thirty-five. Oh, so it is pretty heavy soil. Yeah, the biggest difference it's I heavy, heavy. 
Yeah, the biggest difference, like right, the right. call, the caller we had earlier is from Western North Dakota, where the ground's frozen for about five months out of the year, four or five months. So he's got four or five months where we can't flush anything through. But yeah, that's uh, that that's actually really good, going from seventeen to six and a half. That's not super common around here. For a lot of people, once they get up to seventeen, they're kind of stuck. Yeah, exactly. Well, again, it's just it's really it's really getting after it with uh, with the Lyme program. Now, I believe also on that particular system, I was also using a a polymer um, called liquid chisel to help solubilize those salts to get that whole reaction happening quicker. Um, and that's that stuff we're using at about a half a gallon per acre, which is about twenty five bucks. Sure. Yep. Uh, oh, one other one other quick thing. When when you were able to lower that seventeen down to six and a half percent on the sodium, how much water did you put on in order to do that? You okay, talked about that the was, it happened to be yeah, it happened to be put in. It was in a sugar beet crop right there. Uh, that part of the field, this farmer had been using had been farming that field for probably forty five years, and for that time period, anything in a row crop. You could you would see an open furrow on the bottom of the field for probably four to five hundred feet. Now, once we put that that uh, lime on, we're probably using and we planted sugar beets. We were probably using somewhere around in the neighborhood of through the through the crop. We're probably putting on about five acre feet of water over time. And um, but that was the first time in forty five years that that grower ever saw the row close on the tail end of the field. So it actually covered over the furrow. So he was a little bit happy, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I imagine so. Hey, uh, Bo, we got about three minutes left before our next break, so we wanted to talk to you a little okay. about copper today. Uh, and we appreciate the information yep. on the uh, on on this issue of sodium in the soil because that's tremendous for a lot of people. But I- anyway, in terms of copper, what what problems are you seeing with copper out in your region and how are you solving them? Well, we have extremely low uh, parts per million of copper. A lot of my stuff down here, you know, on our soil test will be like 0.2, 0.3. So, you know, it's one of the things is, is you know, we talk about disease control and some of that stuff, um, especially in our organic vegetables. You know, if, if I can get an organic guy to come in and make sure that we're putting on some copper. I mean, I've the most I've put on at one time was 35 pounds of copper sulfate. And I've done that um, on a field or two, a couple, three times, you know, starting to lower the limits of that a little bit and be able to kind of get those copper levels up. My disease control went from two to eight. I mean, I was like, I was shocked about how well, you know, the disease control was by getting that copper in the ground, especially on a leafy green, you know, like uh, spinach, uh, lettuce, uh, uh, mizuna, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, mustards. So that made a big difference. The other thing was I, I used some, uh, when wheat got really really uh, hot, you know, like eight or ten years ago, and we and we talk, we don't talk about bushels here, we talk about hundredweight. So at the time it was, it was $20 a hundredweight, okay? So customers said, well, okay, I, I want to put on a whole bunch of miners on it. You know, I'm going to make a bunch of money this year on my wheat, so I want to take good care of my ground. And we did uh, we did a 35 a 35 at pound application of copper sulfate on about 1500 acres that he had put into uh, wheat and one of the things is is, you know kyle's talking about stock strength well 
we had uh, here, if you've got water on a wheat field, and we'll get some winds here, it'll blow 35 to 50 miles an hour, depending sometimes part of the year. We had a field that had, it was had about six inches of water standing on top of it. They were irrigating at the time. And because I had that copper on there, I didn't have one acre lodge of wheat. And normally you would have seen the whole field go sideways. So that copper is really important. Not enough people pay attention to it. I'm tickled to death that you guys, you know, bring these things to light because not enough pay people, you know, really pay attention to their minor elements. Again, we've been talking with Bo Shropshire. He is a consultant out in the state of California, one of the, our good friends here with the show. Bo, thanks a lot for the time today. Great insight as always. You bet, guys. Thanks a bunch. Have a good one. Yep, you too. Talking copper on today's program, but also taking your agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD and our email address. You can always send stuff there, radio at agphd.com. Just got some soil samples in at radio at agphd.com, and we're going to talk to David coming up right after this. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, Here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? 
Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct Next-Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment, investment. Great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct Next-Gen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today, just talking a little about copper and taking your calls and questions. Next up, we've got David calling in from Michigan. He also sent us some soil tests. David, how you doing today? Good, and you guys? Excellent. All right, so I got your soil tests here. Uh, just for our audience, can you just kind of state what your question is and then what I'm looking at here on these soil tests? Yep, the one marked uh, for my garden. Yep. I, I kind of hemmed and hawed about calling you, and then one of your previous guests said something about tomatoes and splitting tomatoes, and that's the problem I got with my tomato, my garden. Yep. Is the tomatoes get up to a certain size and then split wide open, and the bugs have a heyday, have a feast. Sure. Okay. Uh, but I don't, what yeah. I've learned about soil samples, listening to you guys, it doesn't look like I've got too low a copper level. Well, it's not bad, but here's the thing. You have very high phosphorus levels. So I'll just, for our audience here, we're looking at a P1 on the phosphorus of 194, which some people might say is excessive. I don't. I like that because if I'm going to have tremendously high yielding crops, I'm going to pull a lot of phosphorus out. But anyway, what we've kind of found on our farm is if we don't have the phosphorus to copper ratio roughly 30 to 1, we've got a problem. Okay, so if I take your two and a half parts per million of copper into uh, phosphorus of 194, let's see, so I got 194 divided by 2.5, that's 78 to 1. So I do still think that copper is a little bit of a problem there. If it's me, okay. I'm, yep, if it's me, I'm going to bump it a little bit more. Now, I'd also okay. say that if you're running a DTPA test here on manganese. And because of that, I don't really know where your manganese level is actually at. This says six on the DTPA test, but your and but your soil pH is six point four. So I don't I, I don't really know. It's possible you might have some manganese issue out there as well. Beyond that, I mean, most everything looks pretty good. So your your base saturation potassium is 6.7%. Uh, your calcium level is 68%. Your sodium's only 1.5%, so it's not terrible. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's as much as I want to see, but it's fine. It will be okay. Soil pH is 6.6. Uh, your zinc is about 20. So you're roughly in that 10 to 1 ratio phosphorus to zinc. Don't have a big problem with that. You could push the sulfur a little bit. I mean, it's only at 25 so if it's me, I'm probably going to push sulfur a little more. I might push manganese if I, I ran a Malik 3 test and I found out where I'm at. And I would put just a little bit more copper out there in the garden. Okay. That's why I needed to know. Because I saw the, the 2.5, and I'm thinking that was high enough, but apparently the ratio you were saying yep. is off. Yep, yep, that's that, That's where you most likely still have a problem. Um, I, I, I would say in your email, too, you'd asked a question about having a clover-timothy grass mix on those first couple of tests 
Are you still wondering about yeah, that? No, I'm. That's I'm going to go with that, and okay, I'm actually going to split that field and go half soybean. So. <laughs> okay, all right, no problem. And, well, hey, thanks for the call, David. And oh yeah, go ahead. Yep, thank you, guys. Okay. No, I was going to say in the original comments, um, your brother said something about I must haul a lot of fertilizer because I'm a truck driver. Yep. Yes, I do. I've got <laughs> I've got 55 tons of urea on right now. So, <laughs> uh, hey, since you are I, hauling, I, since, I haven't. Go ahead. I haven't seen the armed guard following me because of the cost yet, but. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that truckload's worth uh, many times more than it would have been just a year and a half ago. So are you having to, since you're trucking fertilizer, let me just ask you real quick, are you seeing any shortages? Are you having to wait? Are you still hauling just as much as normal? Or is there, do you have any information at all you can tell us about fertilizer supply? Just, just the cost. Um, different people I've talked to said there's not going to be a problem getting it. Yep. Um, most of the fertilizers. Yep. But it's just going to be the problem writing the checkbook for it. Yep. That's, that, that's kind of what I've told people as well. Uh, with the, um, I don't know if you remember the hurricane went through Louisiana, took out a, uh, yep. urea plant and then another one that exploded in what, North Carolina or something. North or South Carolina, they had a big fire explosion. Um, they said that kind of slowed things down, but they're, everybody's able to get the, the fertilizers that, that they're wanting. Yeah, and a lot of people are cutting back, at least somewhat, even with high commodity prices, people are trying to figure out, okay, how can I be more efficient with fertility, which isn't uh, necessarily a bad thing. We we always want to figure out how can we get the best bang for the buck. And you definitely don't want to be wasting any this year, that's for sure. Well, hey, David, thanks a lot for the call yeah. and appreciate the information. You betcha. Thanks a lot. Take care, guys. Yep, you too. Had another soil test come in. This one came in from Serbia, Brian. This came in from Bain, and he was asking about micronutrients as well. And he said, according to my soil analysis, they're they're telling me I need to put on 400 pounds of iron sulfate per acre. My question is whether I should just work on lowering the pH, which is around 8.2, with some elemental sulfur. Uh, and on that way, I would be releasing some iron, uh, or if I should immediately put on some iron sulfate, uh, which is difficult to build iron levels at high pH. I, I haven't had yellow soybeans in that field, but they're telling me I need more iron. Okay, so first of all, what we're looking at here with his TEC, or total exchange capacity, uh, 17. So this is off a Kinsey lab test. And a lot of times we say CEC or cation exchange capacity. Total exchange capacity is real, real similar. So it's about 17, so it's a little... I, we're going to call it a medium textured soil. And in a medium textured soil, we do have to be a little concerned about leaching with certain nutrients and things like that. But anyway, in terms of iron, you're only at 0.86 parts per million. So if it's me, I'm at least going to put some iron on. Now, would I put 448 pounds on? Probably not. Because this year I'm looking at costs and I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to, I'm just going to try to get by with as little as I can for right now on some of these micros. But if it was me, I would try some at the 448 pounds. Let's say it's just a little bit, a little strip or whatever, and then we see. But 
when you are talking an 8.6 pH, what we always want to look at is how did the pH get that high? What's really causing the problem there? And just at my quick glance, I don't know if I've got a great answer for you other than to say um, we've got a lot of calcium. We've got roughly 82% calcium out in that soil. It's just high calcium. If you start getting some of these other nutrients in ratio, what we usually see is pH then starts to neutralize. So for example, when we say potassium is at 2.84%, to us that's too low. We'd really like to see that 4% or higher. When you look at phosphorus, and we've got phosphorus levels that are, are pretty low, we say, all right, get the phosphorus to where it needs to be. Get some sulfur out there and start addressing all the, the nutrients that your crop needs. Start working on getting the soil in balance. And then over time, that pH is going to come down. But the, the fact of the matter remains, there's just not a lot of iron out in that soil, at least what you sent in for the test. But let me just say this. A lot of people only test zero to six inches, and I don't see what the depth is here on this particular test. But let's just assume it's zero to six inches. Iron is usually at higher concentrations a little deeper in the soil. So what I'd encourage you to do is take a look at, well, what do you have in the six to 12 inch range? What do you have in the 12 to 18 inch range? Or maybe even the 18 to 24 inch range? And some people come back and say, well, I, I'm not gonna get a lot of that, those nutrients down there anyway. Well, why not? Let's get some roots going down deeper, and then maybe you can extract some of that iron. There are a lot of people that have been able to do that with good success in the past. So before I go spending a crazy amount on iron on my whole farm, now granted, I'm going to do it on just a little strip and see what happens and see if maybe it pays, and then I go, oh, okay, I guess I'll keep doing this. But on everything else, I at least run a couple of tests down deep and see, do I actually have iron there or not? So I don't think your biggest problem right now is iron's getting tied up. I just don't think there's much there. All right. Today on the show, we've been talking a little about copper, especially as a nutrient. But we would be happy to take your phone call and talk about anything going on in your farm or answer your questions. The number here is 844-44-AG-PHD or email us radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. 
Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We've been talking about copper, but our phone lines are open. If you have an agronomic question, it's 844 44 AG PhD. And you can email us as well if that or or instead, if you'd prefer, it's radio at agphd.com. Got one here, Brian from Jocko, who says, uh, kind of an unrelated question here, but how do farmers keep birds from destroying their crops? I already had to plant soybeans and corn twice this season. I'm in Namib- Namibia, Africa. Usually once that oh, first so- green vegetation emerges, uh, the the birds from the surrounding area come after stuff here. But this year they seem to be uh, going after me about every morning. So shooting them is not a complete solution. They just keep coming. And I don't have a lot of time to just sit here and wait on them all day. Just wondering, is there anything you can think of as a deterrent? No. I, I, I would say we're lucky where we farm in the Midwestern United States. We don't typically have birds attacking our young plants. Sometimes you get geese that will try to eat up some seeds. And so there are some deterrent products there. I'm trying to think of the names. Yeah, seed treatments that you can buy yes. to, to put on to basically just and, make the seed really bitter tasting. Yeah. And, and so it doesn't kill the birds, but it deters them. Yeah, and maybe that would work. And off the top of my head, I can't remember the name of the names of the products. Avapel. Hey, A-V-I-P-E-L. You could look into that, look at the active ingredients, see yep. if you could get that in your country. The other thing I, I've heard people talk about is, look, you've got certain fields that have places for the birds to live and water source close by. And right. those are the toughest ones to defend. 
And so growers raising sunflowers, for example, might choose, you know what? There's no stock dam. There's no creek. There's no river or anything close by this particular field. So that would be good. It's way away from where the water's at. Now, birds can certainly fly. And if they find a good food source, they'll go after it. So that would be something to think about. The other thing that I've heard people do is utilize, um, whether it's grape juice or, or different things that they would spray. So there may be something that you could come up with, depending on what's around the area where you live. I know a farmer who uses, he lives near a hot sauce plant and he uses their waste product, which is still really hot. (laughs) And he sprays that on the edges of his field and that deters deer and other animals from eating the plants around the edge. Uh, And I, I don't know, there's farmers that try spraying different things over the crop, especially if it's just for a certain stage of growth then, then you can maybe get something to last out there if it doesn't rain for a couple of weeks. Now, I would say, too, in the past, there have been farmers that just said, you know what, I want to kill all the birds, so I'm going to put out poison across my whole field. <laughs> we don't advise you to do that. Okay, that's super dangerous, and it, it, it's an it, it, it's going to make you look really bad to everybody when you've got dead birds lying all over the place. So... Uh, I, I will say, too, there are people that have tried these cannon-type machines, so it, it it puts out a loud noise every so often, but usually the birds figure that out in not too long, and then they're right back in your field again. So, yeah, I, I wish that we had a perfect answer for you or a great solution. You can try some of the things that we mentioned, but unfortunately there's nothing fantastic that we can say, oh, just do this and it'll solve all your problems. Okay, Brian, get this question from NS who said, I'm wondering, what is the distance you put between your corn seeds in the row when you're planting? Uh, NS, we are planting our corn in 30-inch rows. So every 30 inches, we have a row of corn. At 30,000 population, that puts a corn seed out there about every 7 inches. So if you're shooting for a 30,000 population in 30-inch rows, well, you got a 7-inch spacing. So a lot of it depends on what your row spacing is going to be, how much gap you leave in between the rows. Uh, We've got a handy app. It's free uh, for your smartphone or tablet. It's the Ag PhD Planting Population app. And you can check that out. Type in what your row spacing is. You can pick any spacing. So let's just say, for example, you're in 20-inch spacings, but you wanted to do a 30-inch row. Well, then you'd have seed every 10 and a half inches. Or maybe say, no, I'm in a wide row. I'm in a 38-inch row. Well, you could type in 38 inches and then you'd have seeds every five and a half inches. So it it just depends on what row spacing you're in and what population you want to do. The big question is, what planting population do you want per acre? So say that your crop is corn and say that you're shooting for uh, what we always say is seven to 10 bushels. And a bushel is 56 pounds of grain for, for a yield goal. So if you're shooting for, say, 210 bushel corn, we would always say, let's shoot for seven to 10 bushels per thousand seeds that we put in the ground. So if we're putting 30,000 seeds in the ground, we would shoot for a yield of somewhere between 210 bushels and 300 bushels with a 30,000 population. So you can use those as guidelines NS. We really appreciate the question. And if you have any follow-ups, sure, let us know. 
All right, Brian, got a couple of questions here on, on two different soil tests, and I'll give you the first soil test and give you the first question, and then I'll get to the second one if we have time. Uh, this one comes in from Braxton. He said, I want some help understanding soil samples and what to do with them. We've got a 125-acre circle here that, that we've got irrigation on, looking to grow 250-plus bushel corn. We haven't applied our phosphorus or our nitrogen. So we've got 250 pounds of anhydrous purchased. Normally we're putting that in three to four inches deep with a sweep plow. And we've got a local co-op that's going to spread some rock 40 phosphorus out there. Uh, but my question is about this nitrogen. We already have it bought. We could use it elsewhere if we don't do it up front, but normally we're putting all 250 pounds up front. Just curious if you think that's a good idea or if we should be putting some liquid out with the irrigation later in season. Okay, here's the reason why I would not put 250 pounds out up front. First of all, and most importantly, this is a 12 CEC soil. So generally speaking, just, and again, general terms, I'm not going to say this is exact, but this can get you relatively close. Take 10 times your CEC. So 10 times 12 is 120. I'm only comfortable, as an agronomist, making a recommendation to you to get the nitrogen level up to 120. You already have 60 pounds sitting there in the soil. So if I got 60 already and I'm going to 120, that means I'd put 60 pounds on right now. That's all I'd do. I, I mean, I might push it just a little bit if you want to go to 100 pounds. That, fine. But there's no possible chance on my farm I'm putting out 250 pounds up front. If, let's say, I was in a super dry area and I said, yeah, my chances of getting six inches of rain in three weeks are almost zero, or six inches of rain, I should say, in a couple of months are almost zero, um, you know, then fine. I guess it's no big deal. If you don't have the rain to leach anything out, then whatever. But if we're talking irrigation... Um, and in an area that can get a fair amount of rain and in, in on any given day, you could have a three inch rain. Uh, you could lose a whole bunch of that nitrogen. So nope, I wouldn't do it. I'd figure out a way to split it. Okay. Uh, then his next question, uh, I've got another 125 acre circle. This one was sorghum last year. We're going to raise 200 bushel corn on it. Cause it doesn't, looks like it doesn't have as much water available there. He said, I'm wondering uh, same question here. We have 200 pounds of anhydrous purchased. Wondering when you'd put that out. And also, how much of that Rock 40 phosphorus would you recommend that we would put out on this as well? Okay, 8 CEC, and we've got 24 pounds of nitrogen already sitting out there. So that tells me I'm not going to put a whole lot out early. So of the 200 pounds you want to put out, at most, I'm putting half out early and really, for me, probably a third early. And then I'm going to come back later with more nitrogen. Now, when it's irrigated, let's just say, and I don't know what type of irrigation you have, but let's just say you had center pivot irrigation. What would I do in the future? Okay. And however you want to do it is up to you, obviously. But I would figure out a way to get liquid nitrogen bought every year. And every single time that pivot runs, I'd put on a low rate of nitrogen along with just a little bit of sulfur and maybe even just a, a trace of boron, even a half an ounce or just some tiny amount of boron. Those three are leachable. And those three are, are going to be low for you almost for sure all throughout the season if you're not constantly supplementing them. So that's how I would change the program a little bit. In terms of the phosphorus, if I look at P2 phosphorus, so what 
hopefully will come available throughout the course of the entire year in my field. I got 57. Okay, so 57 times 2 times 2.3, and Darren ran the math for me. That's 262 pounds of phosphate that you got out there. Darren, what was his question on the rock phosphorus thing? How much would you put out? Uh, let's see. Uh, and I got to pull up. Corn, what would you say for corn yield? 200 bushel guy? on that last one. Okay. Yep. Sorry, and I know we're running out of time here. So 200 we, bushel we corn needs 102 just, pounds of phosphate. Yeah, we'd, we'd recommend downloading the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app. You can type in whatever goal you want. It'll tell you exactly how many pounds of each nutrient you need. So you're doing pretty good. It's just I'd still put a little bit out, not a whole lot. All right, thanks for that question, and thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.